Welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast, the show that educates, supports, and advocates for the veteran community. Your host, Dr. Tyler Piron, U.S. Army retired, will bring you exciting conversations with amazing guests about resources, research, and military history, all geared to helping our warriors to come home well. Here's your host, Dr. Tyler Piron. Welcome back to Coming Home Well. I'm your host, Tyler Piron. And today we're going to talk about something that nobody ever really wants to talk about. And if you've gone through it with a family member, you know it is one of the most difficult and challenging things that you're going to do because you're helping to make decisions about the end of life. And that is a really tough position to be in. So to get some more information and figure out what this is all about, we have Helen Bauer, who is a nurse who's been doing this for a long, long time. Uh, she's with the Heart of Hospice, and they have their own podcast as part of our new partnership. They're all this entire organization about helping people make better decisions, whether you're a veteran or not. Uh, but we're going to talk about it a little bit from the veteran perspective, of course, because uh, that's what we do here at Coming Home Well. Helen, thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. Oh, my pleasure, Tyler. It's great to be with you. So let's just start at the very beginning. What is hospice? Hospice is a philosophy of care that focuses on comfort and quality of life towards the end of life. Most people think that it's a place, but it's really just a style of care like oncology or urology. Hospice is just focused on the end of life rather than curative care. So sort of keeping you comfortable? Is that sort of the, the quick and dirty of it? It is. That's a big part of what we do. But it's not just about pain management or managing shortness of breath. There's so many other things that we take care of. We take care of the whole person, the whole patient, body, mind, and spirit. And so we're looking at physical symptoms. We're looking at psychosocial circumstances, and we're looking at spiritual care as well. So we have a whole team of people that provide specific skills for each of those different parts of a person. So how does that work? I mean, who's eligible for hospice or, cause you always hear about it for like the really old folks or someone with cancer, but it's not always really clear like where that comes in. So when hospice first got started in the United States, most of our patients were cancer patients, but now because of other diagnoses and because we've advanced cancer treatment, only about half of hospice patients in the U.S. are cancer patients. Um, That's probably so a good thing. It, it is a good thing. It is a good thing. So we're taking care of people with just a myriad of other diseases, respiratory, cardiac, kidney diseases, neurological diseases, a lot of Alzheimer's and dementia. We do see a lot of older people a lot of geriatric, older adults in hospice, but we also see people that are younger as well, people my age in their 50s and 40s and 30s. Unfortunately, there are some pediatric hospice patients, you know, kids that have terminal illness. That's only about 2% of the patients that we have here in the United States. So it's not just for older adults. It's not just for those last couple of days. It's not for people who are literally on their deathbed. It's for people who are who have made a decision to stop treatment or the treatment's no longer effective. So they're looking for quality, not quantity, looking for 
expansion of what they can do and maximizing what they can do, but not really looking to, to give themselves extra time, extra days. So they're not looking for the cure anymore. They realize the end is coming. How far away is that end where hospice usually comes in? I mean, obviously it's a guessing game because uh, if you ask 10 doctors, you're going to get 10 opinions. <laughs> right. It's really supposed to be, as far as the definition of terminal illness, is six months, that your life expectancy is six months or less. But a lot of hospice patients are with us for longer than that. Some of our patients come to us so late in the game that they're only with us for two weeks. Half of our patients, uh, in Medicare hospice anyway, are only with us for a stay of about 14 days. That's very common. But we have a lot of patients that are with us for a year or maybe 10 months. You know, it just depends. And the better, it's always a better situation for a patient to come on care earlier because it gives us a chance to really assess and see what they need to care for their caregivers because that's part of what we do in hospice as well. And to really round out the care so they learn to trust us, we get to know them and the care is just better that way. It would make sense if you have a better interaction, able to communicate, and if you're about ready to pass away and it's been a long, horrible drag, and all of a sudden you're in hospice, you're probably not getting uh, the care you need as much because you're, well, uh, right near the end. Uh, right. So it, the longer it is, but it, I guess there's a rule, I guess it sounds like six months is kind of the, hey, the doctor thinks you have six months to live. Right. That's how you qualify to come on to hospice. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way it works is if you beat the rap, as I call it, where you, you know, at six months, if you hadn't died, that's okay. As long as you still qualify for hospice, they can still keep you on service. Now we do have patients that plateau or they even get better unexpectedly. And if that's the case, then you're no longer eligible for hospice and we'll discharge you off. That's probably a good thing. Uh, you're not expected to die in the next six months. Uh, that's that's not a losing proposition, I think. So, Helen, who qualifies for hospice care? And like, what does that end of life period look like? To qualify for hospice care, you have to have a doctor that says you have that life expectancy of six months or less, right? Um, it's called a certification. And it's what we call a terminal diagnosis or terminal prognosis. And so that gets the ball rolling. And it can look a thousand different ways, depending on how the patient's been sick, whatever their diagnosis was. Some patients come to us where they've had an acute event, like a heart attack or a stroke. And so they need hospice immediately. Other people come to us say someone who's had Alzheimer's or dementia or Parkinson's, and they've already been ill for years and their decline has been slow and very insipid until they get to the point where they qualify for hospice. Both ways are hard, I think. You can't say that one decision to go on to hospice care is easier than the other because I think they both carry a great burden when it comes to decision-making. Absolutely. So what is the heart of hospice and what do you guys do there? So the heart of hospice is a consulting um, end of life resources and service, mostly just the podcast, which is the biggest thing. We've been around for 
seven seasons now. We're close to starting season eight. Um, I started it with my producer, what, seven, eight years ago, we started talking about it because it's really disheartening for hospice people to be told so many times, we wish we had known about this sooner. We wish we knew we had the right to do this. We wish we knew it would have been like this. So that's why we started the podcast. We want to support people who have to make decisions for themselves about hospice or maybe for a loved one and even for end-of-life workers, hospice professionals, to let them know what's out there for them. A lot of times we don't get enough training. So the Heart of Hospice podcast is support for people who are providing the care as well as the people who are consuming the care. You know, that is so funny because that's one of the things that we always focus on coming home well is, hey, here's all this information, because when you're in crisis, you're not going to you're not going to be able to find it. It's going to you're going to have to make decisions fast and you're not going to be able to go and explore all the things when when things are happening. And so, like, that's why we're always looking for new information, because when you need it, it's not the time to start you know, start the whole process of, well, what is that? Because you don't even know it exists. That's, that's exactly what we say when it comes to advanced care planning and talking about end of life wishes. What we say is an ambulance is a terrible place to make decisions. Those Those are conversations that should happen way in advance. They're just really hard to have. They're not any fun. Most of the time they're sad and difficult. Yeah, that's exactly how I, when I started the show, I was thinking of, of my own personal times dealing with hospice. And fortunately, in those circumstances, uh, the person had very clear plans. They knew exactly what they wanted. It was just a matter of following what they wanted. But still, it's very difficult uh, to, to watch and, and to understand, hey, but that's their choice. And right. that is their choice. And you have to respect their wishes. And even as difficult, it's kind of selfish, I think, uh, in my view, uh, to try to want to change someone's wishes. But uh, that it's hard not to. Yeah, it it makes sense. It makes sense, especially if it's someone you love or you don't agree with the choices. Yeah, I mean, it's still their choice. And, you know, you have to respect it. And you just wish things were different. And and that's always the, the real challenge, I would imagine, is. Uh, when the family members are having a hard time dealing with the reality of the end of life happening. And, and they're really, in, in both cases uh, that I've dealt with, there was no chance that they were going to get better. And so it was one of those very difficult decisions or, or experiences, maybe even not a decision, experiences to watch someone you love, you know, go through that. But the support that they got was so amazing. There was always someone there. They were not in pain. Uh, there was, you know, people to talk to. And it wasn't just like, okay, you're on your own. Good luck. That was, that would have been worse, I think. Well, and isn't, isn't it so hard because at the core of everything, we're just sad. We don't want it to happen. It's a loss. Absolutely. E- even though we know it's inevitable, right? We know 100% of the people listening to this podcast are going to die. 100% of the people talking on this podcast are going to die. We know that. But it's still sad. Even if you know it's coming, somebody who's been sick for a long time, it doesn't make the grief any less. It makes it different. 
when the person dies, but it doesn't make the grief any less. It's still a loss. So let's talk a little bit about the heart of hospice. Now you said it's mainly a podcast. That's your main vehicle for sharing information and, and for reaching out, but what kind of topics do you cover? Oh my gosh. Everything from hospice philosophy, um, what the care should look like to patients' rights, what patients are entitled to and what they can expect from a hospice team. We talk about advanced care planning a lot because we think that's really important. And as a country, the United States is really kind of lousy at doing advanced care planning. We talk about grief and bereavement. We talk about how to navigate grief as a caregiver and actually as an end of life worker, because compassion fatigue and burnout are a real thing for people working in the end of life industry. We talk about books and documentaries, and we talk to all these different experts who are doing innovative work, people who founded the hospice industry in the United States. Um, just anything having to do with end-of-life care. You know, I find it, it heartening because, you know, one of our big missions is the person behind the service member. Obviously, we're very focused on the people serving the military, but we also recognize that there are so much that goes into supporting the service member, the, the providers, the personal caregivers, the spouses that are filling that role uh, the mothers or fathers or whomever is filling that role, especially if someone's grievously injured or something else is happening. And it's not easy to find those resources. You can find a million and one things for the veteran, but not nearly as much for everyone else. It's true. And in hospice, that's 50% of my job as a hospice nurse and part of a hospice team is taking care of the caregiver. And you're right, a caregiver can be family or it can be the family you choose, blood family or the family you choose. And because hospice, the way we practice hospice care in the United States, doesn't put somebody at that bedside 24-7 along with the caregiver, we do a lot of teaching. And all of that is focused on the family or the caregiver. So you can imagine that's like drinking from the fire hose. That's a huge amount of work and information and overwhelm, in addition to the fact that you might be financially strapped and exhausted and scared, and maybe you're by yourself. There, mm -hmm. There's a lot that goes into that. So we really try to focus on supporting the caregivers that are there. That's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought about it. I mean, it makes perfect sense now that you say that, uh, you know, but yeah, that makes perfect sense. The people that are caring for them all the other times, because you're not there 24 seven, nobody can be. So what does that look like? What does that care look like for the, both the patient or the, you know, the person in hospice and for their caregivers? So for a, a hospice patient, we have our core team, a nurse, a social worker, and a chaplain that will typically see the patient on a regular basis. The nurse sees a stable patient, maybe seen once a week, twice a week. And of course, we see a patient as needed if a crisis comes up. You all, they always have access to a nurse 24 seven. 
Social workers and chaplains see the patient a little less frequently, but also if there's some crisis that comes up, they do a lot of counseling and grief counseling and support, connection with resources, spiritual support. And a lot of that is often focused on the caregiving, the caregiver. Um, we also have aides that come out and help with personal care because a lot of our patients either need assistance to shower or it might be as much as they're completely bed bound and they need a full bed bath, depending on how dependent uh, they are for their care. So for the caregiver, we are teaching medications, how to manage that. We're teaching them what to expect so that in the middle of the night, if something comes up, they're able to, to look at it and say, you know, they told me this might happen. This makes sense. I, I was expecting this. So it's not as frightening. And of course, we try to be there at the time of death if we can. That doesn't always happen, but we are there to support that family or those caregivers after the patient dies. And that care actually lasts for about 13 months after the person dies. We have bereavement care. So we have bereavement coordinators, social workers, and chaplains that follow with that family for a little over a year after the patient dies. It is always amazing. We I we had an incident, or not an incident, uh, with a family member that was in hospice. They passed away. My daughter was very close with them, and they were reaching out. They had kids' camps. They had all sorts of things uh, to help her overcome uh, the bereavement and the grief that she was feeling. And I was like, wow, you wouldn't have thought about it, but, I mean, that's what they do. And I was so amazed at the support and the consistent communication it wasn't just like okay they're gone sayonara it was it was a long term in fact i think a couple of years even locally uh, where they're just reaching out just hey how's everything would you like to participate how are things going yeah yeah our job is not finished when a person dies because we are there to take care of that family and to sort of walk with them through that first year because that is the most difficult time all those firsts you know, the first holidays, mm -hmm. uh, and then you get to the anniversary of the death, which is a huge milestone. And we acknowledge that we validate this is big for you. We're remembering with you. And it, it's a, a huge part of the care that we provide in hospice. So we, we care for the patient up to the death. And then we care for the family after that. So let's talk about the podcast a little bit. It's been going on for seven or eight years now. It's a yes. long term project. Where can someone listen? You can find us at theheartofhospice.com. You can also find the podcast on the Whole Care Network. Um, just go into their directory of podcasts and we're listed there. You can listen to us on any of your platforms that you listen to, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. We're, it, it's hard not to find us. <laughs> yeah, if you Google the, the, the Heart of Hospice, got to use the the in there. It's yes. super easy to find. Yeah, we're out there. You can also connect with us on social media. We're out on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me and the podcast both on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, you're everywhere, which is great because when you're searching, it's, it makes it really easy to find. So folks, if you're dealing with someone in hospice or you might one day be in hospice, go check it out. It's a fantastic resource. Helen's been doing this for a, a little while. I have something over 30 years of experience doing something that is so hard, but so important 
for how we treat end of life with dignity and respect. So Helen, I had a quick question. Is there any difference or anything that veterans should know about uh, that's maybe different or uh, a little bit uh, challenging when dealing with hospice? I think that's a really important question, Tyler. And I, I'm so glad that we decided to talk about that because one in four Medicare hospice patients in the United States is a military veteran. So 25% of our patients that are Medicare patients, which is, is the majority of hospice patients, is a military veteran in the United States. They have unique needs. And I know every person we care for in hospice is unique, right? They all have their own stories their own uh, lives that are lived before they even come to our care. But veterans have very special needs based on where they served, um, what conflict they might have been involved in, whether they saw active duty um, you know, in their deployment. And their caregivers are special as well. It's a sort of isolating thing. And it's really important for hospice patients to know that if you're a military veteran, we are going to honor and respect that. That's going to be part of your care. Those are things that we want to hear about from you if, if you want to tell us your stories. There's also um, on a national level, a program called We Honor Veterans, which a lot of hospice agencies partner with. And so we are able to acknowledge and honor the military veterans. One of the most special things I was ever involved in was a Pearl Harbor veteran. And you don't see a lot of those those folks anymore. The Not men anymore. and women. That, no, no, they're they've almost all gone. We were so honored to be able to care for a patient, older adult, and to honor his service actually on Pearl Harbor Day. Oh, and wow. to have his families there. We videoed it, we saved it for the family, but to acknowledge that service, incredible sacrifice. And the families as well. So the loved one is distant. You're fearful for them. There's a lot of separation. There's a lot of sacrifice on both sides. So I think that's a really good thing for veterans and their families to know about is that hospice sees that service. We respect it and we're going to honor it and then validate it for you while you're in our care. Helen, I know we've covered a lot of ground in, in a short period of time, but is there anything I should have asked you but didn't? Let's see. There's so many different nuances to hospice. And I will say that I've been a nurse for 30 years, 32 years. I've been in hospice almost 14. Okay. So I have 14 years of hospice. Um, I guess I would say what I would like to, that we didn't talk about, what I would like to say is that hospice cares for patients of all different religions and races and cultures gender identity, sexual identity, all of these different people. And we have teams that are made up of all these different skill sets and disciplines so that we can take care of this diverse population. And I want people to know that if you're concerned about how you'd be treated, know that it would be with respect and that diversity and culture diversity we embrace that. We want to care for that. And we can care for that. So we've covered a lot of ground. I think that, you know, hospice is one of those things that is so difficult to talk about advanced care and uh, advanced directives and all these things that nobody wants to talk about because no one wants to talk about dying. 
Uh, about the only time I've seen it is when someone knew that in some future time they weren't going to be feeling well. Uh, they've had a, some diagnosis or something. And so they start planning. Uh, usually it's the planners by nature uh, that go and say, okay, I need this. I need this. I want to get this done financial and come up with a really good plan. Other folks, you know, it, it's very fast. Um, you know, like you said, a stroke or a heart attack and all of a sudden uh, the prognosis isn't very good. What are some of the things that if, if you, you had all the time in the world, would you encourage them to do way before they needed hospice? I would encourage them to have those advanced care plan conversations with the people who are going to be their decision makers. Have them early, have them often, and have them deep. There are card games and tools and workbooks and journals that you can use to help you sort of discern the plan for yourself just to get started. Because I think there's some reflection that should come with that. You should look at your family history, at your health history and what your beliefs are, spiritual, et cetera, how you feel about things. And then go to the people that matter most to you and say, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I want to happen. And here's who I want to be my representative, my decision maker. Having a decision maker is the most important decision you can make in your advanced care planning. Because even if you never told that decision maker anything else that you wanted specifically, if they know you, they can make the decisions. Right person, right decisions. So that's what I would tell people. Take time and have those conversations. And get a will and advanced care directives and all that advanced planning. Trust me, everyone that is left behind will be very, very thankful that you spent the time to let everybody know what exactly it is you wanted so they're not guessing and trying to do it. Now, if you can't, because, uh, you know, it happened suddenly, okay, but you're hearing it now. So go go reach <laughs> out. And there's a thousand organizations that'll help you sort through it, books and, and games and all sorts of things that'll help you. So you're not just sort of making it up on the fly that you hit all the, the important things. But like Helen said, the person that you designate is the person that can make decisions for you is the most important. So you don't want to do that haphazardly. <laughs> Helen, thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. This isn't a great topic of, uh, you know, it's not uh, it's not an uplifting one, except in the fact that you can plan and remove the burden off of all of the people that will be left behind. Uh, so they're not having to struggle through it because you, you're not going to hit all of the things that need to be done. I know that, I've, having dealt with it. But if you can handle the big ones uh, so that your wishes are taken care of, I think that's a really great takeaway. I think so, too. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about it with you, Tyler. Folks, we've been talking with Helen Bauer of The Heart of Hospice. You have to throw in the because there's a lot of hearts of hospice. So The Heart of Hospice, go find them. They're on every one of the social medias. We're going to list a few on the Coming Home Well Facebook and other social medias and all those places. But if you want to listen to the podcast, it's super easy to find Helen Bauer at the heart of hospice. Again, thank you so much for joining us on coming home. Well, thank you. Thank you to better help for sponsoring this episode and supporting our veteran and veteran caregiver community. 
BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or a video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, that is better H-E-L-P, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from an office therapy, but with a therapist who's custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Visit betterhelp.com slash cominghomewell to access a 10% discount. Sign up today to make your mental health a priority. Thanks for joining us this week on Coming Home Well with Dr. Tyler Pieron. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. Thanks again. And until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well.